Welcome to the St. Richard's Episcopal Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Rev. Cameron Nations. For more information, please visit strichards.org. So in our gospel today, gospel reading from Mark, we see uh, Jesus doing a couple of things that are pretty familiar to us if we know the story of Jesus. We see Jesus teaching and healing, right? Teaching and healing. Principally, Jesus is doing this in the synagogue on the Sabbath, which is also something Jesus does fairly often and gets in trouble for doing on multiple occasions, especially when he heals on the Sabbath. Um, And we hear these actions described this way, that Jesus does these things as one with authority, authority. And then, uh, actually, the first one, it's, it says, as one with authority, and not like the scribes, which to me feels like a bit of a dig at the scribes, right? <laughs> like, uh, Jesus is doing this with, uh, with authority, not like you guys, right? Not like you guys, you don't have authority. And anyway, this seems a little peculiar to me, this phrasing, doing these things as one with authority. I want to talk a bit about that this morning, because this word authority also crops up in our reading from 1 Corinthians. But we might not know that it does because it is translated differently there than it is in the Gospel reading. And it's within this difference in translation that I think uh, we have a lot to mine, a lot of riches to mine and reflect on in today's readings. So this word, authority, is the Greek word exousia. It's a terrible Greek pronunciation, actually, so don't quote that. My seminary professors would be appalled, but whatever, okay. It's that word, okay? Very interestingly, and this word appears very often, it's not, you know, it's not an uncommon word, but it's also the same word that Pilate uses in the Gospel of John when he tells Jesus that he possesses the exousia, the freedom to choose whether Jesus lives or dies. The freedom which is also the authority, right? So this word has these multiple senses. It's not that Jesus is just teaching uh, as one with like credibility maybe or something like that. It's that Jesus is teaching as one who has the freedom, the authorization to do it. The authorization to do it. And I think that this multivalent translation, that you can translate this both as authority and as freedom or liberty, which is how it's translated in our reading from Corinthians, we'll get there in a minute, brings to light for us the truth that we all know, which is that what we are free to do is not always synonymous with what is right to do or with what we should do, right? Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. I think every parent has uttered those words at some point or another, right? And so just because even you have the authority to do something doesn't mean it is the right or moral thing to do. We know this all too well as well, right? I mean, even in our own country, it was legal to discriminate against other people based on their race, the color of their skin, up until not that long ago in our nation's history. But we all know that that is unjust and not right and an offense against God and human dignity. Right? So just because you may have had the legal authority to do that 
the freedom to do it in this perverse way, right, to curtail someone else's freedoms, does not mean that you should. And actually, Paul, and this is what Paul is speaking about very forcefully and interestingly in this passage from Corinthians. And that's where I want to spend the rest of our time this morning, is unpacking 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We're actually going to talk all the way into 1 Corinthians chapter 10 um, this morning, because this begins a section of Paul's letter to the Corinthians that continues for a little while, this idea about um, eating the, the meat that is sacrificed to idols. And I want to spend some time here because I think it's a rather puzzling passage, right? Or at least it can be. Like, what is going on here? Paul talks about these people who have knowledge. What is this knowledge? What, what does that mean versus uh, the people who don't possess this knowledge, who may be weaker than them? Um, then there's the food that's sacrificed to idols, whether or not you should eat it. It seems to us very historically remote. But actually, I think what Paul is discussing and talking about is very, very relevant to us today. So we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about this. Now, um, the word uh, exousia appears in our reading today when uh, Paul says this, when he says, but take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. That word liberty is, is this word exousia, this authority, this freedom to do this thing. Take care that the authority that you have, basically, to eat the meat of idols, or sacrifice to idols, does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Now, I'm going to uh, summarize Paul's uh, argument here, okay, and, and describe a little bit about the background and context of what's happening and why this is relevant. So, Corinth, obviously, is a Greco-Roman town. It's a very ancient, ancient city. It was a, a long-time Greek city before it was a Roman one. Um, and it was a very, very, at, at the time that Paul's writing this anyway, a very, very prosperous city. Um, it, was a, uh, it was on the water, so it was a major hub for trade. And it had recently been basically just totally rebuilt by Julius Caesar. And so there was a lot of, of fresh money there. There was a lot of new money, a lot of wealth and prosperity. Um, and it was a place of, of culture. It was a very dynamic city. Um, and of course, there were temples there, like there were in any Roman city or town, to various deities. Now, in these temples, you would have the, you know, the actual temple itself with the statue of the deity, and then around the temple, there would be these colonnades and porticos and these sort of dining areas, essentially. And what would happen is you would give your sacrifices to the deity, and then if you sacrificed food, you didn't want that to go to waste, right? You weren't just like offering it up for the flies, um, but you would offer it to the deity. Uh, and then there would be, two things would happen. Either there would be a banquet in these sort of portico dining area things um, that you would be, people would be invited to, uh, or that meat would then be sold in the marketplace. And meat was very, I mean, you didn't eat meat a lot. Meat was expensive. You folks mostly ate vegetables or, or fish or whatever. Like actual meat, like livestock, was a, a delicacy. It was a, a treat, really. Um, and so what Paul is, is talking about here is answering this pastoral question, which is, is it okay for us as Christians in Corinth to still go to these banquets? Because just like all civil religion, you didn't just go because you might have some sort of affinity for the deity, right? You went because it was where you went to be seen. It was important. You know, I mean, church actually, and not that long ago, is kind of like this, right? 
where everybody just kind of went to church, and hopefully you went to church because you believed in Jesus, uh, but you also went to church to be seen, right? It was the place where people were seen. Um, and that's no different than here, right? These banquets were time for networking, for socializing, for deepening community ties. They were both civic and religious events, right, all in one. And so Paul is very pastorally responding to this question of do we still go to this stuff? What do we do about this, this meat that is sacrificed to idols? And the, the basic contours of his argument are this. We know that the idols aren't real, right? They're not real gods, and therefore the meat that's sacrificed to them is not tainted in any way. It's not like, you know, nothing bad. Lightning will not strike you if you eat the meat, basically, is what he's saying. But you probably shouldn't go. Not because it's bad in any inherent way to go, but because the message you may be implicitly sending to people who see you in these places may communicate something about your theological beliefs that you don't intend to communicate, right? And especially to young, fresh, new Christians who are fresh in the faith and their faith is maybe not as as strong as yours is, is kind of Paul's argument. And, um, and he goes on, like I said, for a few chapters to talk about this in greater detail, starting here in chapter 8, and then it pivots, believe it or not, right after that, Paul somehow pivots this into a stewardship letter, and then, uh, and then he goes back to talking about the meat that's sacrificed to idols, but this time talking about it in the marketplace, not in the, in the temple grounds. But I think what Paul does here is actually really important. Paul does something um, that uh, very, I think, uh, theologically important for us, but also pastorally very uh, adept here, which is that he reframes the issue, right? He reframes it. It's not about, again, is this meat somehow cursed or something like that by what's going on? We know that the gods that they're worshiping are not real. He says, no, it's not about what you can do, though right, what you're free to do. You're free to eat it. But what you should do is to demonstrate love to your fellow Christians. And what that looks like when this whole scenario is reframed about love is that you probably shouldn't do that because it might be a stumbling block to them. You see, this is kind of how, how Paul reframes this, this idea of what you can do versus what you should do. What you are free to do, you have the authority to do, but what love may compel you to do instead, right? So Paul's answer to the Corinthians question focuses, as I said, first on the meat in the temple itself, uh, but then moves on to talk about meat in the marketplace. And uh, behind all of this and why he's worried about this, why he spends so much time on this, is that there is a lot of, uh, a lot of layers. I already kind of hinted at them a little bit. There's both this kind of uh, religious layer, but there's also a, a social layer, uh, because again, if you're getting invited to these banquet things, you're probably of a higher socioeconomic class. So if you're a Christian that's of a lower, lower socioeconomic class and you see you know, the important people at these banquets, you may think, oh, well, maybe, maybe they don't really believe this, or maybe this, you know, it starts to... So Paul's worried about it sowing dissension, essentially. He's, he's worried about this sowing dissension and division in the body of Christ. And he says as much as he continues on in his argument. So again, Paul reframes this issue. 
that what is at stake here is not about being right necessarily. You know, what is it right to eat the, the meat, the sacrifice to idols? He says that's honestly beside the point. What's important is, is it demonstrating love to your fellow believer? Is it extending love? And he puts the onus here on those who are strong in faith, uh, on the powerful, essentially, um, not just in terms of their faith, but also, as I mentioned, probably in terms of their wealth, to help shape their actions who possess less of both things, right? Because otherwise, this knowledge, the knowledge of the love of Christ, merely leads to arrogance, dividing the body against itself, which he says is not, that's not the gospel, that's not what we should be doing. Now, how he makes this argument. He begins with what we have today in chapter 8, the ritual meals in the temple, but he ends his discussion in chapter 10 with another meal. He creates this juxtaposition. So there may be these banquets with this meat or this food that's used for ritual, you know, sacrifice to these idols, but they're not the only ones with a ritualized banquet, are they, right? <laughs> and so in chapter 10, he moves into another meal that would have been very familiar to the early church, just as, it, just as it is familiar to us today, and that is Holy Communion. So, he says, to flee from the worship of idols. And he talks about um, how we, who are Christians, which we actually have a prayer that says this. We didn't make up the prayer that, you know, commissions our community of care folks who take, the, take communion to folks. We say there's a line in there about we are many... We, you know, we all share in one bread, one cup. That's, the, Paul wrote that. We didn't write that, okay? <laughs> and it comes from, from 1 Corinthians uh, in chapter 10. And he talks about this. Like, this is the meal that binds us together. This is the true meal, the bread of life, the meal that actually sustains, right? Um, and he so, so he says that all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. This may be a familiar passage to some of you. All things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial, all things are lawful, he says, but not all things build up. And in fact, if we think about our reading from 1 Corinthians 8 today, he specifies what builds up. Did you catch it? Love, that's right. He says it explicitly. Love builds up. Love builds up. And so he argues, right, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. He says, this is what you should do. Ultimately, this is what it's about, for the glory of God. And so I think this, even though, you know, we might think that we are very far removed from Paul's time, and we may be wondering, okay, what does this have to do in our own lives about meat that's been sacrificed to idols? I can't really think of the last time I had to ask that question of myself, right? <laughs> you know, I don't go to HUB and I say, hey, was this... Was this ribeye sacrificed to an idol? Is that, should I be worried about that? Um, I have never asked that at the grocery store. And if you have, I would love to know how it went. Okay, I would love to know what they said. But actually, this is pretty relevant because even though that may not be how this lives, or how it kind of comes to bear on our contemporary lives, we certainly are surrounded by a lot of temples to various idols, right? They may look a little different, they may demand different things of us, but nevertheless, they ask for our worship and capitulation. 
And so I think for us this morning, this passage actually calls us to consider whether or not we let our meal together, the Lord's meal, become like the food sacrificed to an idol. Or how our community, our own community, might be divided in similar ways to the, uh, the community in Corinth that Paul's writing to. That we should be aware and have our eyes and hearts open to those kind of pagan temples that are in our own midst every day. I think one of the things that's so great about Paul here, and a lot of his writings are like this, is he acknowledges the complexity that is inherent in interfacing with, the, with, with culture, right? Like, how do we actually engage with culture as Christians? It's always a complex and very messy thing. And Paul offers a pastoral response here to the people in Corinth. And it is complicated, but I do think is instructive for us as we think about how we live out our faith in um, the spheres in which we live it day to day. Because ultimately, we are called to model a different community that we are to make sure that the values of the temples around us, that those values don't creep in into our own, that the meals sacrificed at the altars of those gods don't hinder our own meal here with the one true God. You know, for Paul, all of this is about God's love for us and about our love for one another. And this is what he says, right? Love builds up. Love builds up the church and edifies the church. And so this morning, friends, it's not just that we have the freedom to choose to love one another, the freedom to choose God's love, to accept God's love, but it's more than that. We actually have the authority to love one another, the authority. What I mean by that is we are actually empowered empowered, right? I mean, that's what the law does to you, is it empowers you to do something, you know, or like when you graduate, by the power vested in me, you know, I hereby grant you all the rights, privileges, and honors, whatever they say on the degree, right? Uh, You know, that sort of thing. I confer all this to you. That's what's going on here. We are, we have, we are empowered. We have the authority to proclaim, profess, and live out God's love in the world, doing all of this, not by human law or decree, but by divine law and decree, empowered to love like God loves. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. For service times or more information on St. Richard's, please visit strichards.org.